We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today. I don't think there is junior church today. No. Give you a minute to get to Luke chapter 2. There are days when everything is dark around you, a hopeless pitch dark that consumes you whole. I know I've been there too. Too many times it's never easy. It's not a question of willpower. You don't just snap out of it, and you don't need to have objective reasons for being in this state either. It's okay. This is just one of those days. That's the opening line of a February 2020 article on Mind Cafe on medium.com by a lady named Zita Fontaine. The title of the piece is Five Things You Need to Hear Today. And in this message, in her message on this article, she gives advice to those suffering from depression, pain, hopelessness, and issues with self worth. She writes the following, and it's a long article, so I'm just going to give you a brief, a brief uh, rundown here synopsis but she says bad times don't last this darkness and despair feel never ending it will pass you will feel better it doesn't last forever you worry too much is the second thing not everything around us is within our control if you can control it do something about it but if it's beyond you stop worrying about it third you can and should say no you can and should say no When you have too many things to do, too many people to please, too many tasks to finish, you need to start saying no. Saying no is not rude or selfish. It's necessary. You are enough is number four. You need to hear this today, not just today, always. You are smart enough, kind enough. Your worth is not linked to the feedback you receive from your friends or family or spouse. It's not linked to what you have accomplished today. And fifth, it's worth it. This life These people, these feelings, these connections, these relationships, the love you give and the love you get, your children, your parents, your friends, family, your colleagues, your inspirations and your struggles, they are worth it. Now, folks, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that this is wisdom from on high. It's, that is from God. It's not, and I have no idea where this person stands with their faith and their relationship to their creator. No idea. But like most things that come out of the world or the internet, there usually is some truth to it. And we know that all truth does ultimately come from God. But you have to be discerning. So while seems like good advice. There's a lot more in that article that's not good advice. But here's my take, one-minute take, on five things you need to hear. It is true that bad times don't last. The Lord will return, and we will be raised to eternal life with new bodies that never get sick or die, 1 Corinthians 15. We do worry too much. You know how I know? 
Jesus said so. Matthew 6. You can and should say no to things. Paul writes in Ephesians 5.16 that you should make the best use of your time. You are enough. Each Christian, now this is a touchy one because she talks about a lot of things in her article about self-worth, you know, being your own self-worth in yourself, so to speak, if that makes any sense. But I thought about this, and I was thinking about 1 John, and each, Christ, each Christian is gifted according to the Spirit. Just use your gifts the best you can for the Lord. Strive for consistency and excellence, not perfection. Oh, and by the way, we were also made in the image of God. That's in the beginning of the Bible. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We'll talk about that later. And last, it's worth it. Philippians 2.13 For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now that's five things I needed to hear this Christmas day. How about you? Five things. Truth is a funny thing, isn't it? Sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes it scares us. Sometimes it makes us want to tell more people about it. And sometimes it changes who we are and makes us more thankful. So let's go ahead and pause and hopefully you made it to Luke chapter 2 in your Bible. And we're going to go to verse 8 and we're going to ask ourselves, what can we learn from this event, the Christmas story, that will make us stop and reflect on the truth of the incarnation, to be thankful for what we've been given, and inspire us to rejoice in the good news of Christmas. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, come upon us now. Calm our hearts. Calm my heart. And release our minds from all distractions. Renew them with the washing of your word. Convict us where we need convicting. Lead us to rejoice because of what a great gift we've been given. In Christ's name, amen. If you please stand for the reading of the word. We're going to read verse 8. Luke 2, verse 8 through 20. And in the same region there were shepherds... Oh, by the way, real quick. I'm reading from the ESV. So if you have a pew Bible, it's going to sound a little slightly different. But if you have your phone, you're using your phone, switch to the ESV, it'll, it'll be good for you. I mean, it'll be easier, not <laughs> better. Because they're both good translations. I'm using an ESV because that's my preferred translation, but also because my beautiful bride bought me a new ESV Bible that's made for preaching. So, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. I like the King James where it says they were sore afraid. I love when it says that. An angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto you this is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. So over the last month or so of Advent, I've heard Pastor Allen talking about how, what, when, those kind of questions in his children's messages and in the message last night. Today we're going to be discussing the why. The question why. If you ask any evangelical Christian, pretty much anywhere, the question, why did Jesus come? You almost universally get the same answer. What is it? Why did Jesus come? I'm hearing multiple answers here. Maybe it's not as universal as I thought. (laughs) I heard it over here. Luke 19.10. Yeah, to seek and the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's Luke 19.10. That's a good verse to memorize. Jesus came to save sinners, not condemn them. Now, I want to qualify that statement because Jesus said in one passage of the Bible, for judgment I have come. But when we look at that, because some may take that statement not to condemn them as some sort of escape clause, Look at what the Apostle John writes in John three sixteen through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Let me repeat that. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. And that's the meaning behind this point. We stand condemned already by default, and we need a Savior. You see, it's right there in the passage in verse 11. We need a Savior, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. If you don't need saving, why do you need a Savior? But we do need a Savior because the glory of the Lord is a fearful thing to behold. Verse 9, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The shepherds were exceedingly terrified when the glory of the Lord shone around them. I think I'd be pretty scared, too. We had this, The elders had to talk about this at Christmas, our Christmas party, and we were like being as desensitized as we are today to miraculous things we seem to see on television and things like that how would we react to the glory of the lord appearing and we still said i think i would fall down on my face shivering in fear 
The shepherds were exceedingly terrified. They might have been familiar with Isaiah the prophet who was taken in a vision to God's throne room before the Lord Almighty and cried out, Woe is me! I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. The glory of the Lord is a visible manifestation of God's infinite holiness and righteousness. God dwells in inapproachable light and before him all the sin and darkness that lives in men's hearts is laid bare and exposed to judgment. The shepherds were right to be terrified. Who can stand before the glory of the Lord? Who can stand before the glory of the Lord? Not me. Not me. Not you. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now you may be sitting here saying, I came to church on Christmas to be cheered up. Where is the joy in this? But let me tell you, folks, human sinfulness is fundamental to the Christmas story. It's fundamental. Many people today balk at the notion of sin. The thought of our own sinfulness makes us uncomfortable. According to a 2016 survey by LifeWay Research, 10% of Americans do not believe that sin exists. 8% believe it does, but they are not sinners. Americans 18 to 44 are twice as likely as those 45 and older to say sin doesn't exist. I have bad news for all of you. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned whether we like it or not. Some think that sin is somebody else's problem. That person, you, or you, are the sinner, not me. Or they downplay what is sin and relegate it to specifically heinous acts such as murder. The Bible speaks to these wrong beliefs as well. Matthew 7, 3. Why, Jesus, this is Jesus now. This is Jesus. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Speaking of sin and hypocrisy. And then James 2, 10 and 11. Whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. You are a lawbreaker. This is really bad news. But for who? Most certainly for those who do not know Christ and the redemption purchased for them at the cross. Most certainly it's bad news. But listen, it's not just for them. These statements were written to the church. Jesus was preaching to his disciples about hypocrisy. James was writing to the church in dispersion scattered throughout. Jesus' teaching about hypocrisy was to his disciples. The Apostle Paul, writing to young Timothy, pastor of the church at the city of Ephesus, said the following, 1 Timothy 1.15, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Quote, Christ came into the world to save sinners, end quote, and I am the worst of them. And I am the worst of them. Notice Paul didn't say, I was. He never said, I was in the past tense. He said, I am the worst of them. 
And immediately following that verse, in verse 16, Paul writes, But I receive mercy for this reason, so that in the worst, me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Brothers and sisters, this Christmas, we need to remember where we came from. We need to remember where we came from. Remember that God chose us before the foundation of the world. And remember the importance of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And why the world needs to know the real story of Christmas. But maybe some, there are some here who don't know redemption. Maybe you don't know Christ. You're thinking, what about me? What will I do? What will happen to me? This is a frightful thing. And the angel said to them, Fear not, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. That's where you should be listening right now. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Because of our sin, we'll one day face judgment day. We have every reason to be afraid. But thanks be to God, thanks be to God that he sent his son to do what we could not do. This is what the baptism taught us. This is what the baptism taught us. He exchanged our sin for his righteousness. Therefore, we can take the angels at their word and not be afraid. The gospel removes our fears. It tells us that God reached down his hand and delivered whoever believes from perishing forever. It brings us hope where there is no hope. It gives us confidence where once we were afraid. Turn over in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. This one's not up on the screen. First John chapter 4. Verse 10. And then 15 through 19, 15 through 18. John the Apostle writes this. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means to satisfy or atonement. To satisfy God's wrath. And then verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God... God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. Because as he is also are we in this world. And here it is. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. With punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Whose love? God's love. God initiates, God seeks. He came to seek and to save the lost. God loves his people so much that in an act of supreme humility... He became a man who suffered for his creator, his creation's sins. 
Even though we break the law and offend his holiness and deserve judgment in love and mercy, he offered his son, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, in your place. In your place. And you can receive redemption through the cross, through Christ on the cross, if you'll just turn to him in repentance. That means forsaking your sinful ways. We all are sinners. Remember that. And believe in faith that only Christ can reconcile you to God. Christ brings peace between God and man. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, <clears throat> this might fly in the face of some of our cultural sensibilities. We like to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. You know, I'm proud of what I made of myself, that kind of thing. That is the temptation, isn't it? To be self-reliant instead of relying on Jesus to save us. I don't know about you, but it's always been a temptation to me to be self-reliant and not reliant on the Lord, not dependent on the Lord. It's always been my temptation to have a self-made attitude. But we got to be careful because in multiple places the Bible says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He'll humble you. Forget your bootstraps. You might not even be able to tie your own shoes. Those who know me know what I'm talking about. If you're singing Glorious, Gloria in Excelsis Deo on Sunday as we sang, but your life is singing I Did It My Way with Frank Sinatra the rest of the week, you're missing the message of Christmas. You're missing the message of Christmas. There's a greater song in verse 14 we should be singing all the year round, not just at Christmas. And yes, I don't see Brother Mark here, but I was going to say something because we had a talk because he said the angels are never singing in the scripture. They're only saying. So Karen, you can pass that on to him. Threw him a, I threw him a bone. I do realize the angels are not singing, but it still is a song we can sing because Christ has broken down the wall between man and the creator. He hasn't just broke it down. He demolished it. He destroyed it. With his work on the cross, he bridged the gap nobody could bridge. He crossed the chasm nobody could cross. By the power of the cross, he laid the cross across the chasm. Just like the illustration we teach to share Christ. Christ has brought peace where there was offense. He brought mercy where there's judgment. He came to save sinners of which I, I am the worst. Rightly did he say as he was dying on the cross, it is finished. The good news of peace between God and his people is good news indeed. Do you believe it? Do you believe it, church? Amen. Reminds me of the words from a song from the singer Bono from the band U2. Some of you may get a kick out of this mention. Arguably one of the greatest rock albums of all time, The Joshua Tree. He says, you broke the bonds, you loosed the chains, you carried the cross of my shame, and you know I believe it. But you see, the chorus immediately following that says, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you haven't found what you're looking for. But let me tell you, you come to Leonardtown Baptist Church, we have. 
the shepherds have, they found what they were looking for. And he was lying in a manger all those years ago. The very embodiment of God's grace. I don't know what you were expecting this Christmas day, but today, if you don't know you're saved, if you don't know you're saved, Jesus is calling you. This is why Christmas came in the first place. This is why Jesus came. And as he was approaching the cross, he said, Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. For this purpose I have come to this hour. Listen to him. Listen to the angels. Listen to the shepherds as they testify that God made a way where there is no way. Believe the good news. And to those of us who believe in him and are saved by his grace, Jesus gives us a testimony. Jesus came to give us a testimony of his grace. Not only do I want to explore how Jesus came and gave a testimony to the players in this passage, but I want to look how it plays out in the lives of real Christians. And I want to do that through the lens of a Christian testimony of a man who we will just call John. We'll just call him by his first name, John. According to this passage, our testimony has three parts. Now, notice I said according to this passage. I want to remain faithful to the passage. A testimony includes what you experience. Verses 15 and 16. What had the shepherds experienced? They were going about their business. They were going about their business, shepherding their flocks by night, and wham! Glory of the Lord shone around them. And they got a bit of shock and awe from the Lord, who sent angels and shone his glory around them in the middle of the night, and they were afraid. They were sore afraid, and rightly, as we said, Now let's look at our friend John's testimony. John was born in England. His mother died when he was seven. His father remarried and sent him away to school for a few years. At age 11, he left school and joined his father's business to start a life as a seaman. His early years were one continuous round of rebellion and debauchery. After serving on several ships... And working for a period of time on the West African coast, collecting slaves to sell to visiting traders, he eventually became captain of his own slave ship. In 1748, while returning to England from Africa during a particularly stormy voyage, when all appeared lost, he began reading a book called The Imitation of Christ. The message of Christ contained in this book and the frightening sea around him were used by the Holy Spirit to sow the seeds of his eventual repentance and faith in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Now, as we look at that, both of these testimonies are quite the experience. Now, not everybody has a dramatic experience like this. Not everybody has a dramatic experience, but everybody has a testimony. Everybody has a testimony. And God's grace working in your life does not leave you where you're at. I want you to hold on to that last statement there. It does not leave you where you're at. But back to the scriptures. The angel tells the shepherds to not be afraid and that a Savior is born in the town of Bethlehem. The shepherds say, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing. 
this thing. What's this thing we've been told about? And lo and behold, just as the angel said, there is Christ Jesus. I was about to slide off. There is Christ Jesus in a manger, probably wiggling his divine toes. So they find him. Now back to John. He remained a slave ship captain for several years. For several years, but tried to justify his position by improving the conditions for his slaves. He even held services, church services, for his ship's crew each Sunday. Eventually, however, he felt convicted of slave trading and became a strong and effective crusader against slavery. Returning to England, he married his childhood sweetheart, married Catlett in 1750, became a clerk at the Port of Liverpool for the next nine years. He began to feel called to the pastoral ministry and studied diligently. So here we go. I want you to see, do you see how God moved both the shepherds and our brother John? How he moved them. He didn't leave them where they were at at the beginning. That doesn't mean you may go, you're going to go to a different town. It doesn't mean you're going to go on a mission trip to England, although you might with Pastor Jason. To England. But God will get you moving. In some way, He will rechart your course. He will rechart your course according to His purpose, His purpose, which is to glorify Himself through your testimony. That's what Jesus does. He's on the move, He's not sitting still. He's on the move. His kingdom is ever advancing. Mark 1.38, he said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. This is why I have come. It may just be moving you to go share the gospel with your neighbor. or Maybe you're called to a faraway country. I don't know. Lord knows. You may even be called to be a martyr for Christ. Only God knows, but he will move you. Because secondly, a testimony is meant to be shared. A testimony is meant to be shared. And when they, it says, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So you see, the shepherds were moved to go to Bethlehem and to share with Mary and Joseph what they had found. They were the first evangelists, I think, in the scripture, besides the angels. They knew what Christmas was all about, and those who heard it wondered at this eyewitness testimony of amazing grace. Now let's go back to John for a second. Our friend John. At age 39, he became the first pastor at a small church in the village of Olney near Cambridge, England. He often used the story of his own life in his services. It was so effective, he became known as the... Does anybody know who I'm talking about yet? Brother Jim? What did they call him? Uh, You said it to me the other night. The old converted sea captain. After 15 years of pastoring at Olney, he spent the next 28 years of his life as pastor in a church in London. 
At age 82, John went home to be with his father. Till that time, he never ceased to marvel at God's mercy and grace that had so dramatically changed his life. That's an amazing testimony worth sharing. I mean, both the shepherds and John's testimony, one shared in Bethlehem, one shared in England, both shared here at Leonardtown today, all these years later. What about your testimony? What about your testimony? If you're in Christ, you have a testimony. You have one. God wants you to share it wherever you're at. Whatever Jesus has done for you, it's worth sharing with somebody. It's worth sharing with somebody. Even if you don't think you have a testimony, you have a testimony. And I say that, that that's a perilous testimony because your testimony may not be about God's grace. It may actually be about you. It may actually be only about you. And that's a perilous testimony. You need to search yourself and ask God to search your heart. Because thirdly, a testimony, according to this scripture, is about what we treasure the most. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Most scholars believe that Mary was one of the primary witnesses that Luke utilized to write the gospel. Mary was his primary witness. What did she treasure the most? What are all those things that Mary treasured up in her heart? Your homework today is to go back to what Pastor Allen mentioned in the baptism, the Magnificat. Go back and read Luke chapter 1 and see what Mary had to say about what she treasured up in her heart and what matters most to her. The Gospel of Luke is essentially her testimony about her son, the Savior Jesus Christ. He was literally the thing or this thing that the shepherds went to see and testify about. It's what we treasure the most. Now let's visit our friend John one last time. In the last years of his life while preaching, he proclaimed in a loud voice, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. That I am a great sinner that Christ is a great Savior. In the churchyard in Olney, you will find his name on a tombstone. On it, you will find the following inscription written by him before his departure. I think it says all required to know the faith of this man. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slavers in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. Our testimony, church, is about what we treasure the most. It's about what we treasure the most. Is it a testimony of amazing grace? Is Christ to be cliche the reason for the season? The reason for the season, I've heard of churches, I'm not trying to call out anybody and condemn anybody, but I've heard of churches canceling their services today just because it's Christmas Day. I don't get that. I don't get that. In my mind, my simplistic mind, 
I just ask myself, is Jesus all in all or is he not? Is he all in all or is he not? We're here today because he's all in all and he's worthy of our worship and praise and glory. So as we come to a close, I want to share one brief final point with you from verse 20. Jesus came to inspire our worship. Luke 2.20, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. When true people truly meet Jesus, they can't help but be changed. They can't help but be transformed. Shepherds were changed. Man, my nose is running now. John Newton's testimony got to me. Need to think more about Jesus wiggling his toes. Shepherds were changed. They returned home, but they were not the same people who went to Bethlehem, were they? They were different. They had an angel song in their heart. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. The shepherds had met the Lord Jesus and returned with the testimony of the gospel. Church, do you think they kept quiet about it? I don't think so. What did they do? And what must we do with what we've heard? Glorify God where you live. Glorify God where you live. The shepherds returned home. Were they afraid? Were they confused by what they had seen? No, they were not. They were not afraid anymore. They were not confused. They were rejoicing. Our brother John Newton, whose testimony we read a minute ago, was he afraid or confused? No, his life was transformed. They lived lives of continual praise to God. They were continually glorifying his name because they were never the same again. They returned home and told people about Jesus Christ and what he had given them. Himself. Himself. Praise God for what you have. Brothers and sisters, are you praising God this Christmas for the gift he has given you? Are you praising him every day for what you have in the Lord Jesus? Amen. You've been given the greatest gift. The shepherds were praising God continually because he had revealed to them all that they had heard and seen concerning Jesus. God did it, not them. God did it, not them. God sought them out. They didn't seek God. They only responded. God's grace is persistent. you are a guest with us here today and you've never responded to the good news that Jesus Christ is the Savior. You've never responded that Jesus Christ is the Savior. He's the Lord. Now is the day of salvation. In a few moments when we sing, you come up here and you pray with me. You can receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Today is the day of salvation. Sometimes I think People are ashamed to do this, to come forward publicly in repentance. I think they're ashamed or somehow worried about coming publicly. But listen, folks, there's no shame in repentance. 
Jesus took the shame and nailed it to the cross. He nailed it to the cross. He took our shame. He broke the bonds. He loosed our chains. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ this very Christmas day. And we will rejoice together when the good news of great joy of your salvation. For that's what Christmas is all about. And that is why Jesus came.